welcome to the Wittenberg Hour. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 1, 27. Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Hour, where we explore big questions and discuss that which endures by means of that which has endured, that scholars may endure. My name is Jocelyn Benson, and I serve as head teacher of Wittenberg Academy. What is the same about men and women? What is different about men and women? How should Christians confront things such as gender equality and identity? Families recently had the privilege of learning from Reverend Rolf Preuss at the Wittenberg Academy Family Retreat. Please enjoy Plenary Session 2. I would like to begin by reading to you from the Word of God, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. God is not a man. The difference between God and man is the difference between creator and creature. But God, the creator, became a man. As we just sang, praise to thee and adoration, blessed Jesus, son of God, who to serve thine own creation didst partake of flesh and blood. God became a man. The Son, the Word, became flesh. We call this the incarnation. The Father did not become flesh. The Holy Spirit did not become flesh. The Son became flesh. God is not a man, but God became a man. We call Mary the mother of God, or the God-bearer, at which ecumenical council was she given the title Theotokos for three gold stars going once, twice, Ephesus! Well, whatever. <laughs> I only remember that because I was there. Not when it happened. No, no. <laughs> Leah called me an old man this morning, but I'm not that old. We call Mary the mother of God or the God-bearer because the child she bore was God. God the Son became a man. A man did not become God. God became a man. We confess this wonderful mystery in the words of the Athanasian Creed. Although he is God and man, he is not two, but one Christ. One, however, not by the conversion of the divinity into flesh, but by the assumption of the humanity into God. When God became a man, he did not cease to be God. God is immutable. He cannot change. God didn't change when he became a man. He is what he has always been, the eternal Son of the Father, begotten of his Father before all worlds, as we confess in the Nicene Creed. As far as Christ's humanity is concerned, he received his human nature from his mother, Mary. And when he assumed our human nature, he became a male human being. 
all human beings are either male or female. Thus, the Word received his maleness, not from the Father in eternity, but from his mother in time. God is neither male nor female. Now, God is our Father. He's not our mother. How do we know this? The Bible says so. Jesus refers to the Father as my Father. He's the only begotten Son of God. Jesus teaches us to pray our Father. Jesus told us to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God puts his name upon us in baptism, and he does not tell us to baptize in the name of the Mother. But he does invite us to baptize in the name of the Father. He doesn't invite us to call God Mother. God is our Father, not our Mother. But this does not make God male. And that's because to be male or female... <laughs> Well, it's not working anyway, so. <laughs> now, this is basic stuff here, folks. To be male or female requires that you have a body. Okay? I don't think it's necessary to explain to you the differences between the body of a man and the body of a woman. What is obvious, both in the book of nature and in the Bible, is that the bodily differences between a man and a woman are necessary for marriage and family. Now, we're going to be talking about marriage and family later on today. For now, we need to establish what makes it possible for a man to be a father and a woman to be a mother is essential to being a man or a woman. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that you're not a real man or a real woman if you're single, celibate, and childless. There are many pious Christian people who have never married or who have married and were not blessed with children. And they were blessed by God to serve their neighbors in many beneficial ways. I could tell stories about such folks and the benefit they've been to me and my family throughout the ministry in which I serve. That a man is a man and a woman is a woman doesn't require getting married and having children. Furthermore, the differences between men and women go way beyond the physical differences that make procreation possible. Did you know that men and women think differently? We could talk all day about that. Suffice it to say, and this took me about, I don't know, 40 years to learn. And if you young folks will listen to me, you'll learn it right now, but you probably won't. And that is that men don't understand how women think. And women do not understand how men think. And as long as we all humbly acknowledge our ignorance and refrain from imposing on others a maleness or femaleness 
then we ought to be able to get along. The French have a saying, vive la différence, which means live, long live the difference. It's, it's a good thing that God made us different. And the point is that according to the words of God written by Moses, recorded in Genesis 127, if you are created by, in the image of God, you are either male or female. And that's what the text says. Listen again to these inspired words of God. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, the word man may refer to a specific human being who is a male, or it may refer to no specific being, a human being, who may be male or female. The English language in which I was raised, that I learned as a child, made this clear. But the English language that young folks are learning today obscures this truth. Man is male and female. That's what the Bible says. That's what the English language said. The word man may refer to a male or to a female human being. When speaking of human beings in general and not identifying a specific human being, we use the word man. And this word refers to men, women, and children. Adam is the Hebrew word for man. Anthropos is the Greek word for man. Anthropos is the word used in the Nicene Creed where we confess who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven. Both of these words can refer to women as well as men. This word translated into English as man may refer to a generic human being without regard to the specificity of sex in the same way the pronoun he may, be, may refer to a generic human being. Enter modern feminism and with it the assault on the English language. Now the assault against the traditional use of the male pronoun to refer to either men or women is part of feminism's war against nature. But this did not happen right away. Modern feminism, some people say it has come in four waves, basically two waves. The first wave was in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. It's most commonly associated with the suffragette movement. The first wave feminism did not deny the differences between men and women. In fact, it emphasized the differences. As a political movement, the suffragette movement was bound to the temperance movement that culminated in the ratification of the 18th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution in 1919 that prohibited making, transporting, and selling alcoholic beverages in the United States. And also gave us such legends as, what was the guy's name? Al Capone, which, uh,
Did you know Al Capone had a place way up in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan? We learned that when we visited Moose Jaw. Now, a year after the 18th Amendment was, was uh, ratified, the 19th Amendment that gave women the right to vote was ratified. And those who advocated for women's suffrage also advocated for prohibition and vice versa. The two issues were politically bound together. Men, being the irresponsible and selfish creatures women knew them to be, obviously needed the discipline of the government to keep from getting drunk and ignoring their responsibilities. So women would help to rein in the irresponsible tendencies of men, hence prohibition. A womanly influence on government was needed. Second wave feminism sought to eliminate this distinction between men and women. It arose in the 1960s. Men and women are now interchangeable. Biology is not destiny. And this requires bodily autonomy, which includes reproductive freedom. Reproductive freedom is the right of a woman to have her unborn child killed. A woman's right to choose whether or not to bear a child must override the right of a child that has already been conceived in her womb. Because whatever a man may do, a woman may do, that is feminist dogma. And feminists know that a woman may conceive a child if she engages in sexual intercourse with a man. This is nature. And they can see this. But they deny natural law. And they deny biblical law. Thus, while feminism recognizes the natural cause and effect relationship between sexual intercourse and procreation, feminists do not from this conclude that sexual intercourse outside of marriage should be forbidden. Bodily autonomy entails the right to have sexual intercourse with anyone one chooses as long as it is consensual. So traditionalists, let's just call them Christians, and feminists both want children to be wanted. Traditionalists promote this goal by confining sexual intercourse to marriage and in this way ensuring that a baby has a father and a mother. Feminists promote this goal by guaranteeing the pregnant woman the right to have her unwanted child killed. Now I've heard of pro-life feminists. Yes, and there are Jewish folks who love bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches. <laughs> Don't be deceived. Feminism is pro-abortion. It must be. For if a woman is bound by biology to bear a child she doesn't want, she cannot be equal to a man who cannot get pregnant. She must have the right to have the child killed, or she's not equal to a man. She must be able to define her womanhood without reference to her relationship to any man. 
Her feminine independence from male authority and headship is the sine qua non of the feminist creed. Patriarchy is bad. And it is patriarchy that lay behind the use of the word man to refer to both men and women and the use of the pronoun he to refer to an indefinite human being, whether male or female. Patriarchy comes from two words, father and rule. Patriarchy is the rule of the father. The family is identified by the name of the father. Our surnames come to us from our fathers, and our mothers took on our father's names when they married them. The use of the word man and the word he to refer to both men and women, boys and girls, reflects a patriarchal culture, and feminists recognize this. This explains the assault on the use of he as a generic pronoun that could refer to either men or women. A woman will not find her identity in a man. This is fundamental to feminism. To refer to men and women as man or mankind, to use the word he to refer to both men and women, in short, to speak and to write in accordance with the patriarchal assumptions that inform our language is to attack feminism. And here we've got to understand what feminism is. It is a political ideology. It is political, it is ideological, and it relies on coercion, not persuasion. It captures the language and then rewrites the rules to bring them into conformity with feminist ideology. By imposing new rules on the use of pronouns, it imposes feminist dogma on those who go along with the new rules, even if they are unaware of it. And most people are unaware of the agenda that drives this change in language. And that makes it easier to change. Do you all like to read old books? Let's go back 60 years. When I was a boy, my goodness, that's a long time ago. Read a book or an essay or a newspaper article from 60 years ago. You will not find the word humankind. You will find the universal use of the word man to refer to both men and women. You will find the universal use of the word he to refer to both men and women. Now that has radically changed over the past half century. Today it is forbidden to do so. Nowadays we find the plural pronoun they used to refer back to a singular noun. Now never mind the rules of grammar. Grammar must bow before ideology. Now this brings us to the difference between sex and gender. If God is in charge, we're either male or female. God decides that you are a man. God decides that you are a woman. It is God's decision, not yours. And God has decided to make you either male or female. That's what Moses writes. That's the way it was in the beginning, and that's the way it will be until the end of time. God chooses to make us. 
He brings us into this world. He makes us as he sees fit. That you are a man is God's choice. And he made the right choice because he's God. That you are a woman is God's choice. And he made the right choice because he is God. But when the natural knowledge of God is tossed aside, and the natural knowledge of his creation is lost, God no longer decides anything. You do. You can choose to be a man or a woman or neither. You're not a divinely ordained sex. You are a self-chosen gender. The proliferation of silly pronouns by which people choose to identify themselves is not just a curiosity to be observed, it is law. Refuse to submit and you are canceled. Let's talk a little bit about this uh, GLBTQ. It's kind of a depressing topic, actually. I was thinking, why do I want to spend all this time talking about this stuff? But I'd already prepared this presentation, so I guess we're stuck with the conversation. <laughs> That's where we're going to go for a while. Okay, GLBTQ stands for Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, Transsexual, Transsexual, and Questioning, although some say Q stands for Queer, which is a word that homosexual men will sometimes use as a kind of an in-your-face uh, assertion of a certain kind of whatever. Uh, but we'll just go with questioning. I think that's the standard. So the word gay is used to identify someone who is sexually attracted to members of the same sex, whether male or female. And the word lesbian is used to refer to a woman who is sexually attracted to women. Uh, the traditional word for same-sex sexual attraction is the word homosexual. Homo means same. Hetero means different. Homosexuals have desires for members of the same sex. Bisexuals have sexual desires for members of both sexes. Transsexuals seek to change their sex, either from male to female or from female to male. And Q stands for those who are not sure what they are. That is, they are confused about their desires. One's desire determines what one is. Now, God made man in his image. He made them male and female. God made two sexes. When God's creation gives way to man's desires, sex is changed into gender. I think there's confusion on this among Americans because we speak English. Some languages assign genders to all nouns. For example, when you say the table in French, you say la table. La indicates the feminine gender. When you say the castle in French, you say le château. Le indicates the masculine gender. Some, some languages have masculine, feminine, and neuter genders. And when you learn those languages, you just have to learn the genders of the nouns. Or you really don't have to. Some people misuse it. But English doesn't assign genders to nouns. And for this reason, people who speak only English are unfamiliar with genders. 
what's happened in recent years is that the word gender has replaced the word sex in distinguishing between men and women. And the word gender is much more fluid. Sex is biologically determined. That is determined by the creator who made us. Gender is determined by the individual. That's why the forms you fill out these days often ask you to identify your gender instead of your sex. What you desire is what you are. Creation in God's image has been replaced by defining ourselves according to our desires. Now, human desire is often perverted. It's twisted. It will not submit to what God made. It chooses to be what God did not make and to do what God's law forbids. According to God's word, homosexuality is a fruit of idolatry. This is how St. Paul explains it in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 27. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Is same-sex sexual attraction lust? Now some say no. Books have been written on the subject. If not, it is difficult to say when attraction becomes lust. At any rate, lust gives way to acts. A same-sex attraction is against nature. Same-sex lust is against nature. And homosexual acts are against nature. It all flows out of idolatry, the denial of the true God who made us in his image and in making us in his image made us male and female. Now we deal with these issues uh, both according to as Christians in the church, as citizens in the state. Let me just address this topic a little bit. We Lutherans try to be careful not to confuse the kingdom of God's right hand with the kingdom of God's left hand. The kingdom of God's right hand is the spiritual kingdom where God deals with us according to his grace. Now this, this kingdom is described by the prophet Isaiah in words I'm sure are familiar to all of you. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
prince of peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. Now this government doesn't rely on politics. <clears throat> it does not impose itself against anyone's will. The Holy Spirit makes the unwilling willing. And he does this by his grace through the gospel and sacraments. And we come to know the God who made us, male and female, in his image. The kingdom of God's left hand is the civil authority, what we often call political authority, which is the power of the sword. The civil powers rule over the body, forbidding this and rewarding that. Paul speaks of this authority in Romans chapter 13. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Romans 13, 1 through 4. The spiritual authority has the power to take us to heaven. The civil authority pertains only to life on this earth. The spiritual authority is the power to forgive sins. That's what Pastor Preuss was talking about in his sermon this morning, the Office of the Keys. The civil authority is the power to govern nations. The spiritual authority appeals to the written word of God, the Bible. The Bible doesn't give us a political ideology. It reveals Christ, our Savior, to us so that we may know him and in knowing him have eternal life. The civil power does not appeal to the written word of God, but to history, reason, and natural law. We don't appeal to the Bible to address political issues. We appeal to history, reason, and natural law. Okay, so we're living in these two kingdoms, in the spiritual kingdom of God's grace, in the civil kingdom of the, of the uh, temporal authorities. How do we as Christians respond to this GLBTQ agenda that has assumed political power in the United States? And I have six uh, things I think that we need to, to keep in mind as we respond to the GLBTQ agenda. I'm going to run out of water. So 
There's a, there's a thing in there that says purified. And it's really good. Uh, okay, first, we have to recognize, first of all, that the GLBTQ movement was spawned by feminism. And feminism has influenced us conservative Lutherans. Now, I, I'm kind of in a unique position. I'll just share with you. In 1997, I quit the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in search of the ever-elusive Orthodox Synod. It was what you might call a quiotic quest, for such a synod exists nowhere except in the mind. And I returned to the Missouri Synod after having been absent from it for about 18 years. And you notice a change in 18 years, some for the better, I have to say. Uh, LSB is better than Lutheran worship. Uh, but some for the worse. And let me just share with you some observations that I have about the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Now, it opposes ordaining women as pastors. Good. But it has caved considerably to the feminist assault on patriarchy. Women studying to be deaconesses, thank you, sit side by side in the classroom, in seminary classrooms, next to men who are preparing to be pastors. Why? What are they doing there? Doxology is a recognized service organization, RSO, of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The front page of its website describes what it is for, and I quote, Doxology provides a safe environment for clergy to reflect on their own spiritual and emotional health and assists them to review and enhance their professional competencies and skills as servants of Christ and stewards of God's sacred mysteries. Dr. Beverly Yonke is the executive director of Christian Council for Doxology. She teaches pastors how to be better pastors. Pastors have written daily devotions for the CPH publication Portals of Prayer for 85 years. In recent years, women have become regular contributors. I could go on and on. Women serving as lectors in the divine service. God's word says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 13. The Missouri Synod rightly teaches that women may not be pastors. And then it turns around and gives to women to do what God's word forbids. Don't trust any synod to protect you from the assault of the feminist heresy. Trust God's word. Second, we must recognize that when it comes to what Americans believe about homosexuality and related sexual perversions, we Christians are in the minority. According to a Pew Research poll, 72% of 
of Americans believe that society should accept homosexuality, among 18 to 29-year-olds, it is 82%. Third, we need to know that our government, the, the American government, supports GLBTQ rights. It celebrates homosexual perversion as a positive good for which homosexuals should be proud. In 2011, President Barack Obama declared June to be Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Pride Month. The purpose was to eliminate prejudice everywhere and to celebrate the diversity of the American people. The pro-LGBTQ agenda is official government policy of the United States. Now, we used to talk about Christian values or, or Western values. Now, we hear of democratic values. Now, what is a democratic value? Democratic values promote homosexuality and transgenderism. While only 14% of Ukrainians believe that society should accept homosexuality, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky strongly supports LGBTQ rights. So to be in favor of democracy, whatever that means, is to support LGBTQ rights. And Bible-believing Christians in America are at odds with their own government. Talk about being countercultural. Back when I was a kid, countercultural meant you were some kind of a hippie <laughs> with, long, with long hair and smoking pot and now the hippies are in control. <laughs> well they yeah, well goodness. Well to to quote that famous American prophet, if all the hippies cut off all their hair, I don't care. <laughs> anyway, number four. We must not put our trust in any political party or politician or news agency to stand up for what God has created. Neither Fox News nor the Republican Party opposes the debasement of our country brought about by feminism, the homosexual rights movement, or the right of perverts to deny that that is what they are. Participate in the political process. Advocate for policies that, and laws that oppose evil, but don't forget that we are also waging a spiritual battle against demonic powers, and you don't defeat the devil by voting for the right political candidates. Fifth, we must be willing to call a spade a spade and identify the GLBTQ ideology for what it is. It is an assault on God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. It is a denial of God's creation. It calls evil good and good evil. I believe that God has made me. This the Christian confesses. How? How has God made me? Not by means of what the GLBTQers do. The sexual intimacy between a man and a woman that God has placed within marriage can produce the fruit of new life. 
the sexual activities of GLBTQers can produce only death. To say that same-sex marriage is marriage is to deny God the Father Almighty who has made us. And we must make this crystal clear to our friends in the ELCA and others who claim the name Christian while replacing the authority of the Bible with the authority of the woke elite. God judges. God punishes. And if you love those who are entrapped by the lies of GLBTQ propaganda, speak the truth. And don't be afraid of being called a hater. Don't let that keep you from speaking out against perversion that will surely bring the wrath of God down on our country. Speak the truth. Sixth, speak the truth in love. In love, God made us in his own image, male and female. In love, God became a man and redeemed this whole lost and rotten human race with his blood. In love, the Holy Spirit calls sinners to faith and gives them forgiveness and salvation that Christ won for us by his vicarious obedience, suffering, and death. God loves sinners. That's why Jesus died for them. God loves our enemies, and we must love them too. We must not descend into bitterness or embrace malice as a weapon to fight enemies of Christ's church. We must speak the truth in love. Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. God forgives all sinners of all kinds, including those who embrace sexual sins of every description. This forgiveness is received through faith alone, and faith is born in repentance. Love for sinners requires the preaching of repentance. This is our Father's world. The public and official denial of God's creation can only occur by the permissive will of God who governs all things by his almighty power. <clears throat> and as his children, we confess his word. We teach it to our children. As God's children, we pray for our country. We confess that God is our creator and our father. We pray to him for our daily bread, and that includes good government. And that includes temporal peace. There is no option, Benedict or otherwise, to retreat from this world into little groups where we encourage one another to moan and lament what's happened to our country and to Christendom. No, we, we speak out, publicly confess the truth, hold up Jesus Christ, the very image of the invisible God, who alone is the answer to the evils of our society. We are Christians, and this is our Father's world. We wait in patience for the appearance of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who will bring all evil, including the evil in our own hearts, to an end forever. I, I'd like to say amen, but that was far too long for a sermon, so I'll just say <clears throat> I'm open now for questions or comments. Yes?
kingdom is, is, is ruled by, that we, can, that we, we confront it with, with reason and history and natural law, um, and not, not with scripture, um, it, there, there seems to be some confusion, though. I think, I think a, lot of, a lot of times, and I've, I've probably, I've been confused about this, too, but this can lead to, and I don't think this is the conclusion that you're, you're drawing at all, but this can lead to this conclusion that we set our faith at the door. We set our worldview formed by scripture at the door when we enter into the political arena. And could you, could you speak to that, uh, how we would use natural law to argue in the left-hand kingdom while also <coughs> recognizing the being unashamed of, you know, speaking of his testimony before kings. Yeah. You know, all that. Well, that's a great question. I think, it, I, I basically, I think it comes down to the proper distinction between law and gospel. Uh, the gospel governs the, the, the church. The gospel governs the spiritual estate. The authority of Christ is the authority of the gospel. That's the Holy Ghost doing his work. And the law... We, we think of the three uses of the law. What are the three uses of the law? Curb. So it's the curb. The civil authorities would be the curb. Uh, now, I'm, I'm sorry I'm walking around. I said the other day I don't walk around. This isn't a pulpit. If it's a pulpit, pastors, stay behind it. <laughs> It's funny the kinds of controversies that come up in the church. Who would have thought about this 50 years ago? Anyway, um, I, I just make two quick comments. Number one, the Bible is written that uh, uh, for evangelical purposes. God did not give us the Bible for the purpose of instructing the government of the United States how to do its job. That's not why the Bible is written, and that's not how the Bible should be used. Uh, the Bible was... Uh, now, the fact that we receive our... Uh, the law that we Christians believe is taught in the Bible to the extent that that law jibes with the natural law revealed to all people to that same extent we promote that in the in this public square in the civil arena but we're not talking here about what the Bible says we're talking about what the conscience says what nature says what law says a conservative political stand, for example, that appeals to the Constitution of the United States or appeals to English common law or the kind of stuff that you kids learn in high school. I'm sure you learn this kind of thing about the, the history of, of America and where our government came from. Uh, uh, this is all natural law. And, and uh, uh, so we do this in appealing to natural law, to history, to reason. The problem we're dealing with this woke crowd is that they are irrational. And, and uh, just to illustrate that, okay, how many of you people spend hours a day on Facebook? Nobody will admit it. <laughs> hey, that guy admitted it. Okay, so you have all these people expressing their views. And have you noticed this? that you have an emoji that, that you're happy, that you're angry, and that you're laughing. Have you noticed that if you get into an argument on Facebook, 
Okay, I confess. I get into theological arguments on Facebook, okay? So, if somebody's arguing against me or wants to express disapproval of what I'm saying, there is no emoji for that. He, he can either say angry, which makes him look kind of small, or he can do the laughing one that make to, to mock me. But the, the point is this, emotion is the essence of everything. And, and you can't have an intelligent conversation. All you can do is emote. And that's why this natural law, I think we need to be reestablished in it, because it does appeal to the conscience even of the non-Christians. You can maybe win over people just by arguing from the golden rule outward, you know? I mean, would you like somebody to do this to you? No? Well, then, maybe you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't cheat on your spouse, you shouldn't be telling lies about people, and, and so forth. It may, maybe you shouldn't kill the baby, you know? Would you want somebody to kill you? Okay, quit killing babies. Any other? Yes? You know what you do, I think, in, if you're preaching, if you're talking about preaching like a sermon, you assert. You just say what God says. And don't be defensive. And don't try to provide some kind of, a, of an epistemological basis for what you're saying, all this philosophical gobbledygook. Just assert what the law says. And the law itself, then, has the authority of God. Uh, it may or may not strike, you know, God knows what it's going to do, but we can state it and we can state it clearly. We can, we can assert it clearly. Uh, this is my, my, my uh, encouragement to How many of you are pastors? We've got quite a few pastors here. Uh, in relation to this, I would like to encourage uh, pastors, when they preach the law, be specific. Don't just talk about how sinful we all are. Because then the congregation says, yeah, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. Well, so is everybody else. But nail them, you know. Go after these popular sins and be specific. That's how the law works. And then, and then they see the sin that they're actually guilty of, and then that penetrates down into seeing the sinful condition. And then, of course, God meets that with his forgiveness. So you've got to preach the gospel. Any other Comments or yes in the back. Maybe, maybe I misheard you, but did you speak in support of first grade feminism? No. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I just I heard something and I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss your Here, let me let me read what I wrote and you tell me. <laughs> okay. Uh, now I have a wonderful wife says here, men being the irresponsible and selfish creatures, women know them to be obviously needed the discipline of the government to keep from getting drunk and ignoring their responsibilities. Women would help to rein in the irresponsible tendencies of men. <laughs> guys, those guys of you who might want to get married someday but aren't married, if you meet a woman who wants to rein in your irresponsible tendencies, you might want to look someplace else. 
I can change him. <laughs> oh, but really, Pastor, really, Pastor, I know I can change him. And then they marry this guy, and then they come to you and complain about this guy you told him not to marry. <laughs> no, I don't agree with first wave feminism either. Uh, I don't want to get into the politics of it about uh, women's suffrage in, in, the, in the civil arena. Uh, that's something you all can talk about in your classes. Uh, yeah. Well, that man uh, kind of danced around. I saw that exchange. Yeah. And he should have said, that's right, Senator Sanders. And you, that applies to you, too. Now, if you want to get up here and publicly condemn my religion, then I'll speak my religion to you. What does Jesus say about salvation? You can't work your way to heaven, Senator Sanders. And without Christ, you're damned and put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today for the Wittenberg Hour. Be sure to subscribe to the Wittenberg Hour so as to not miss an episode. If you would like to learn more about Wittenberg Academy, please visit our website at wittenbergacademy.org. You can like and follow Wittenberg Academy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Join us again next time on The Wittenberg Hour. <laughs>